Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. We are back in business, folks. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall. I have my co-host Bruce Weiner here, and we are looking forward to having a great conversation with you this morning on the topic of how do I know if I am ready for infinite banking? I am thinking this is going to be an excellent conversation, especially for those of you, I guess you're only going to be asking this question in one real specific situation. You have not yet become an infinite banker. You don't have your first infinite banking policy. And you are saying, I am knowledgeable about this concept. I've been doing my research. I have read all the books. I've watched the videos. I think I know what I'm doing. I think I'm ready. How do I know for sure so that I can go from that place of standing on the sidelines or waiting to get into something or about ready to jump off a cliff? It's not really a cliff, but to inaction, to, to being in motion. That sounded like I was saying in action as one word, and I did not mean that. So what we're saying is, how do I start infinite banking if I have not yet started? How do I know I'm ready? How do I know the indicators are right? How do I know it's the right timing? How do I know I'm not making a bad decision? Probably all the things that are going on in someone's mind, in your mind, if you're about to make a giant decision in your life. And so we're going to just really talk through this from a perspective of what you need to be thinking, how you need to be thinking, and how do you know if you are ready to jump into that conversation and apply this in your life. Yeah, there's one more situation, Rachel, is, uh, that comes up a lot, and we won't focus on it today, but that people ask me, how do I know I, if I should start a second policy? Mm, or how yeah. do I know uh, if I start one on my children? And I just like to address that real quickly because um, people often get this misconception that, oh, you're going to get more cash value if you, if you do it on your children because the cost of insurance is less. And we've we've actually addressed this in many other shows. That's not necessarily the truth because of the way that they applied uh, dividends to policies. And we, we're not going to take time to do that, but certainly we could talk through that. But the most important thing is is not just the cash value when you're trying to protect your family. So you need to actually start in most cases with with policies on yourself, and then go to the children. And if you don't know this. Uh, insurance companies actually require that you have uh, life insurance on yourself um, and not just on your children. And you can they can only have up to 50% of what you have on your life as far as a death benefit. And guess what? When you have a 10-year-old and you're trying to stuff $20,000 into a policy, that is a lot of death benefits. So you better have a lot of death benefits. So but this is this is a good topic for today because this comes up a lot when people sign up to talk to us. You know, they're like, "How do I know if if uh, I'm ready?" And I'm I'm just glad we're going to cover this today. Absolutely. So I my first thought when I come into this whole discussion about am I ready is you are making decisions every day of your life. You're making big decisions and small decisions, and I would think about. I mean, if you're going to start an infinite banking policy, especially for the first time, I would put this in the category of a big decision. Um, This is something you may be thinking about it on the level of something like getting married, deciding to have children, 
um, choosing a career, I mean, taking taking a specific job to um, to start your career or deciding on the, a major that you're going to study in college. Um, I mean, buying a first house. Bruce, what do you think about that? Do you think this is a big life decision or a small life decision from your perspective? Uh, you know, Rachel, I'm really good at sitting on the fence on some of these things. I would say this is a medium life decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I say that is obviously there's no, there's nothing more important than your family in, you know, and, and actually having income to, to, to store in a policy. So I would say those are, are big life decisions. It's certainly not a small life decision. Um, I use this analogy several times on a podcast and I just used it with a client again the other day. If you don't think you need the death benefit, uh, compare it to having car insurance and just cancel your car insurance and try to drive across town without car insurance. Yeah. You're going to feel a different way. And you're you are not living your life to the maximum unless you know that your life is income is protected for your family. So Absolutely. the death benefit is important. So when we dive into this, you know, when I talk to different people, they all, they all say, well, I'm trying to figure out if this is for me. And I simply say, well, first of all, you need to be a disciplined person that already has good saving habits. Okay. I, I know there's a lot of people that are touting infinite banking, be your own banker out there. And, and, they're, and they're saying things like, we can eliminate your debt and so on and so forth, and you can get your financial life in order. I always say, no, let's get your financial life in order, and then let's start infinite banking. Because this is this is about uh, establishing habits, and Nelson knew this. All you got to do is pick up Nelson's book. The first part of his book is about human beings and their and the way that they act in life, whether it's Parkinson's syndrome, whether it's uh, having a, he who has the gold makes the rules. It's all about how human interaction is. And so you have to have good habits. So that's the first thing I say to a person. If you don't have good habits, let's, I wouldn't say do infinite banking first. I would say let's establish, and this is what I've, I've said to a lot of people. Let's pretend you have a premium, open a different, open a different checking account and start transferring a certain amount every month that you cannot, you cannot actually use. If you don't think you're that disciplined, then I would do it at a different bank. Do it at a completely different bank and don't have a debit card to it. So that if you need it, you can get it, but you have to physically go to the bank and withdraw it. Absolutely. Now, if you're, if you can do that for an entire year, then I would say you need to start considering it. So that's for the people that don't have good money habits. Now let's talk about people with good money habits. Okay. Cause I know that's most of our listeners. Mm-hmm. So what people are always trying to say to me is like, I don't know if this is for me. And this still comes up, even though we talk about it all the time. I don't know if this is a good investment. And I tell people all the time, I agree with you. If you're, if you're looking at this as an investment, it's not a good investment because the return the internal rate of return on these things is not going to be great when you consider external rates of returns on other things. Like whether, actual investments, right? 
actual investments. We, we call an investment something that has the possibility of losing money. We do not consider whole life insurance that you use for infinite banking a, a, an investment because you have guarantees. And I do have some doomsdayers, even people with millions of dollars. I had to deal with a person yesterday has close to $4, millions, $4 million, and they're still, they're still worried if, about losing their money in the bank or losing their money in the whole life insurance because they're like, well, who, can they really guarantee it? Well, that's if you want to live your life thinking that the banks and uh, insurance companies, which insurance companies are hundreds of times more uh, st- stronger financially than, than banks are, um, then you're never going to be satisfied. Because if they go down, the whole financial situation has collapsed it doesn't make any difference where you have your money. Because in so, that case, if $100 is worth 10 cents, then it that's what you're talking about. You're talking about a situation where everything breaks down and dollars are worth nothing anymore. Well, it doesn't matter where you have those dollars held. They're not going to be worth anything. I mean, right. Even if they're under your mattress. Mm-hmm. So not, they're not worth anything. So, yeah. so I wouldn't worry about it that much. So I would say to you, look at yourself. Why do you feel this way? I go through an exercise, an, an emotional exercise with clients, even when they have a lot of dollars. I have a, I, we, just have, we just put a, a policy in place with a, a pharmacist, and they were sitting on about $550,000 of cash in their business account. And I did this exercise with them, and I said, you know, when does it make you nervous? At what level, the, if that goes down, and I call it the floor, what what does that when does it make you nervous? And they said, well, you know, every two weeks we have to have about one hundred and ninety thousand dollars to buy the drugs to replenish the inventory, and um, so that that's kind of would be my nervous you know level. And I said, well, let's just say two hundred fifty thousand. So now your nervous level would be three hundred thousand. If it got below three hundred thousand, you'd be nervous. So really. Then if you have 190 and then you, you need another 60,000, I would think you could do a, a policy for 60,000 and feel pretty comfortable because you haven't gone below your floor. The 190 plus the 60,000, you haven't gone below the floor. And so those, that's a really good thing for you to go through. Look at your checking account. Look at your money market accounts. Look at all the accounts you have and say, when would I feel nervous for what we call 15-minute money? You know, money that you can go to an ATM or you go to a bank and just withdraw. Anything above that, there's no reason why you should, in my mind, there's no reason why you should continue to keep that in a bank that you do not get any other benefits from. And the only benefit, if you still get a benefit, is a very small interest rate, which I do not believe is going to even grow, even though interest rates are going up, because we as Americans have proven we will save trillions of dollars in a bank at 0% interest. So why do they have to incent us to actually, and give us an interest rate to actually get us to save money in the bank? Now, there's competition yeah. among the banks a little bit, but but they, it's not going to be going back to the glory days where you're going to get five, six, seven percent, 
you know, on, on interest. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so what now, you're talking uh, about, Bruce, is that idea of I've got good savings habits. I'm in a position of saving. I want my money to do more for me. I, I need to hold this capital, but I want it to do more than just grow at no percentage rate. And I want to be able to get a death benefit on that. I want to be able to create generational wealth. I want to be able to access my capital without interrupting the compounding. I want to be in a position that that's growing tax-free and I have tax advantages on that growth. And that's where you start looking at the benefits of using life insurance on that capital that you're holding is so much more valuable to you than just keeping it in the bank. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our listeners are business owners. And if you're not a business owner, you're highly compensated in a business, so on and so forth. So think about this. If you owned a grocery store, would you buy groceries from someone else? No, you'd buy them from your own store. If if you owned a clothing store, would you buy clothing from somewhere else? Well, more than likely, you'd buy the clothing from your clothing store. Mm-hmm. So if you had the ability to store money in a vehicle that acts like a bank, why wouldn't you start your own bank and use that bank instead of other banks? Now, we always tell people banks still serve purposes, and that is actually exchanging money between people rapidly. But as far as storing money, you really need to start doing the same thing that banks do. And so if you can understand that concept and feel good about it, then you're ready to actually start your own policy. The final thing about that I'd like to, to comment, Rachel, about liquidity, because people, mm-hmm. that's that floor and ceiling kind of situation. Yes. Is think about this. <clears throat> and I'm going to use some round numbers here. So if you have a hundred thousand dollar premium, and let's say you have eight hundred thousand dollars in a in, the, in your bank, uh, whether it's your business account or a combination, you know, we have a, a lighting person in Indiana that has a couple policies and, you know, they, they use a business account and the personal account to fund them. And before you get all excited, you business owners out there, um, talk to your CPA because you really cannot deduct premiums as an expense and then access things tax-free and grow it tax-free and the death benefit tax-free. That's between you and your CPA. We're not giving you any advice there. But let's just pretend you have $800,000. And the first year you do a premium of $100,000, you still have liquidity of $700,000 in the bank. Mm-hmm. And you have the way we design it, you're going to have anywhere between sixty dollars to $75,000 of liquidity in your uh, policy. policy. So now you still have seven hundred and seventy or to seventy five thousand dollars of liquidity. The next year it gets even better. You make the transfer, and now instead of having that seven hundred seventy five, you might have seven hundred eighty thousand of the eight hundred thousand, and it just keeps getting better from there. And as I tell every successful business owner or every successful high income earner. Your you that money that was in the bank grew to eight hundred thousand. Okay, it's not like it's going to stop growing. Mm-hmm. It's you're you're successful. You're going to continue to. Uh, you're going to make deposits into that account. You're going to make deposits into your mm-hmm. regular bank, so the liquidity is going to continue to go up too. 
So my final thought on this, and then we can move to other issues of this. My final thought of liquidity is you have to wrap around your emotional response to liquidity. And you in the floor and ceiling exercise, I think is a one way that you can do it just on your own as you're sitting at your office, either at, at your work, at your business, <clears throat> or at home. Or considering this while you're falling asleep at night, thinking, I want to do this thing that sounds really good. How do I know for sure that it's the right time for me? I, I want to come at this a little bit of a different angle. I'm kind of back to the idea of making big decisions. I would say if you're going to make a big decision, let's just say getting married, for instance. I know there's a lot of different opinions on this, and I'm going to show my cards and tell you exactly what I think about making this kind of decision. But when you're making a big decision, it's very helpful to not just make it quickly and emotionally, but to step back for a moment, evaluate, weigh the cost, weigh the consequences, weigh the pros and cons, think through it and really come at it from a rational perspective. And I know we're talking about money, so it can be hard to step out of the emotional and just um, only be logical and rational. But this, Bruce, you said earlier, when you have when you understand it and you feel good about it, that's really important. So understanding is the logic. Feeling good is the emotion side. You really do need both. And you need to not just say, ah, several other people are doing this. Let me go ahead. Because that is when you haven't fully thought through a decision. And then you're more apt to say, I'm not sure that was a good decision. Let me change my mind later. So I'm going to go back to the marriage analogy here. Many people in our culture today think I'll get married. If something doesn't work out, what are my outs? What are my options? How do I how do I get out of this situation if it turns out to not be good and not what I wanted? And I don't think that's a wise way to make a marriage decision. I think that you need to contemplate your choice and then make a decision with a full commitment, fully vested. And that is really how I think that you need to consider infinite banking as well because this is not a quick decision that you want to jump into and then jump out of and say, ah, I tried it for a little bit. It didn't really work out for me. And now I'm moving on to something different. Really, you want to think about this as I am making a lifetime decision, which kind of puts it in the big category. I'm making a decision that's not just for next year or next month. I'm really making a decision that I plan to stick with for the rest of my life. And so that's why it's really important to think it through first. But on the flip side of that, if you've ever asked somebody, do you feel 100% ready to get married? Or do you feel 100% ready to have kids right now? And you don't, you're not married yet, or you don't have kids yet. The answer is always, no, I don't feel ready. And sometimes you need to make that decision because the act of making the decision, you become ready after you've made the decision. Not, you don't become the perfect person, the perfect parent before you're a parent. You work that out through the process of actually having children. And so that's a little bit like what you're going to experience and encounter the, the emotional decision-making process as you're making a decision for infinite banking as well, because multiple reasons. If you are saying, I'm not sure I'm ready yet. It's a big decision. I'm going to need to commit for my whole life. I'm, you want to think through all of the questions Bruce just said in advance. I'm going to have to deal with my issue of liquidity this year and next year and the year after that. I'm going to have to wrestle through my idea of is this the best place to put my money compared to other options, compared to other places to store cash? And we are not comparing it to investments, but you're also thinking, what is the opportunity cost if I don't put this into the investment I was planning and I put it into infinite banking instead? You need to think through that 
before you get into the policy. We can help you think through that in a personal conversation as well. So if you're still working through some of these ideas for yourself and trying to figure out how it would work, that is definitely a place that you can come into that conversation. We can walk you through those things. But once you commit, this is something that you want to stay vested in for life. There's another piece that I would say before you're getting in, you do want to consider and contemplate that there could be times in your life that you have challenges funding a policy. And good. that's the next place I was going to go. Which was <laughs> that's good. Why don't you, I'll, I'll just open the can of worms there and I'll let you take it from there. So you could be thinking, look, if I start a policy today, I'm committing for life. I'm committing to put in $100,000 every year into this policy from now going forward. Life's good now. I've got capital reserves. I'm going to put that into a policy. I think it's, I think I'm going to continue to see success in my business. I'm going to continue to fund this, but I can't guarantee that 30 years from now, I'm still going to have all of that capital every single year to fund the policy. How do you reconcile that potential concern where we can't know the future, but we want to make the best decision possible today? I'm going to let you take it from there, Bruce. First of all, I'd like to say that um, I respect everybody's feelings on on uh, their on their money making decisions. However, you only really have your experience to draw upon. Maybe your spouse's uh, experience to draw upon, and if you're lucky, your parents, if they actually talk to you about money. Okay, most people families don't talk about money, so. True. That's only if you're lucky. <clears throat> so I tell people all the time, I think I know a lot because I, I'm a lifelong learner and I've put myself around a lot of good people. But the biggest thing I have is sitting in a, over 5,000 meetings with families over my career. And so I've not learned, or I've learned not only from my, my training, my certifications, my institutions that I go to like the Nelson Nash Institute, all the other conferences I go to, all the other networking people that I work with. But I've also learned from the families that I've worked with. And the thing that comes up all the time is there are challenges in life, and we've all had them. Uh, I, I often say sometimes there's, no, there's more month than there is money, you know, and, and you have to be able to deal with that. Even very successful people you've you've seen, and you've everybody's listening has heard these stories where a person has made millions and lost millions and it made millions again and it lost millions and it made mm-hmm. millions again. This thing, just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you won't have temporary challenges. So now that comes down to policy design. And just just this year, I can think of four. I, I wrote them down on a piece of paper while you were talking. I can think of four clients that called me and said, one, I lost my job. Two, I didn't get the bonus I thought I was going to get. Three, I own a trucking company. And now with the supply chain being all messed up, I don't, I don't get to deliver as much as I used to. So I'm having problems there. Four, a uh, person had a d- difficult time with a building, unexpected cost in a building that they owned. And they said, what can I do? I can't make all my policy. And when in one case, person says, I can't make, I can't make, I don't, I'm negative cash flow right now. I have, I have no way to make this policy. Well, this is where design comes in. 
Now, a lot of people would say the best design for that, those kind of trying times is the, the big debate that we keep having as 10% uh, base and 90% PUAs. And there is some truth to that as long as you haven't, in my opinion, I've seen a lot of these designs, as long as you have not harvested by the cash value by borrowing against it. Because once again, if you don't understand this, the base policy produces the highest amount of dividends. And if you don't believe me, I can actually show you breakdown of base and PUA, and the PUAs actually get less than 10% of the dividends, even though they might make up 90% of the premium. And so if you build those base policies too small, and you cannot actually make the entire premium, then what you could do if you, if you build it faster is you could simply ask them to apply the dividend to some of the premium. So if that dividend is smaller, you, you're not going to get a good uh, flexibility with that. Mm -hmm. So I would say, um, remember, you can always just pay the base. And if it's a term, uh, if you needed some term in there, you can pay the term. You could change the mode of premium. We just we just did that. Somebody was paying annually, and they and they came into a little bit of a hard time with their business. So now we're going to go to monthly. Which, and they're just gonna they're pay. not going to pay less for the year, but that means that in the moment that premium is due, now you're not making an annual check. You're paying a premium on a smaller portion at that time. Right, and they anticipate things are going to pick up again, and they'll just. They may even, like they did this last year, they paid monthly for, I think, three or four months, and then all of a sudden business picked up. And so then they, you can actually change in the middle of the year, and they just paid it as an annual. So there are all kinds of ways that you can handle this. You can actually, you can actually surrender some of the PUAs. That's what we did with the trucking guy. He was very vigilant in the first three years of paying his entire premium. So we build up the PUAs. It's, it's called surrendering values. So you can surrender some of the death benefit that was equal to the PUAs to actually pay the premium. It's a wonderful thing to do. It rewards you for discipline. Yes. Okay. And then the final yes. thing you can do, the final thing you can do is you, if, if life just throws you this big curveball and you don't, and there's no way that we can do anything to that makes you satisfied and it's going to stress you out as long as you have some cash value in there we could actually reduce pay up we can actually just tell the company we are going to we want you to take the cash value we want you to reduce it to a point where i'm sorry the the death benefit we're going to reduce it to a point where they do not have to put any more premiums in now once you do that the contract is complete. You cannot start it again. That I'm just trying to show you the the, the different ends of the spectrum. The first which is really helpful then to think my options aren't get a policy, a little bit of hard times, I got to get out of the policy. That's not the options. I mean, that that would be saying I have only one option, and that's to surrender a whole policy and to give up on infinite banking and whole life insurance altogether. We're saying there's a lot of options. Besides that. Yeah. And there's even more options, which I can't really discuss because of disclosure reasons. 
on the podcast. <laughs> I sound it sounds like what this is one of those marketing times, Rachel, where I'm trying to give you a little tidbit, you know, <laughs> forget what they call that, so that you have to call us. It's like but a bait, I, right? So basically, yes, call us if you want to know the other options, right? Yeah, but I, I really can't do it without getting approval from the regulators to talk about this uh, in the in in the open airways. Uh, I can't do that. But let's just let's just go through these again. The the first thing we would always look at is, hey, can you can you just change your your mode of premium from annual to monthly or quarterly or semi-annual? That would be the first thing. A lot of times that relieves the pressure to a lot of people. And then the next thing we would move, we, we would move up and say, okay, can you make some payment, but we'll take maybe some cash value or we'll take a dividend to make some or a partial of the payment. The next thing we would say is, hey, we can surrender some of your, just some of your death benefits to make the premium payment. And a combination, cash, dividends, cash value, surrendering PUAs. And the final, the, the one that we would always like to stay away from if we can, but it's always there, is we could do a reduce paid up and you simply say, I just want to take whatever cash value is in there and, and just reduce the death benefit to a point where it's paid up. Now, some people might be saying, well, why wouldn't I just surrender the policy and get that cash value back to me? Well, that's certainly an option. It's not the greatest option is if you had the policy for quite a long time and you're now above your cost basis. In other words, you've made more money than you actually put in because now it becomes a taxable event. See, everybody always thinks, oh, uh, life insurance is tax-free. Well, it's tax-free if you do it correctly, if you hang on to it correctly, if you access it, it correctly. You have to follow the IRS rules. So, Bruce, I think you're watching the comments as well. I'm not sure if you are. And um, we actually had a particular question about someone saying that cash value, whole life insurance is tax-free, question mark, question mark. So you were mentioning that. So I wanted to come back to that for a second. Cash value can be accessed tax-free. So here's the situation. With, with life insurance, you put your premiums in. You've already paid taxes on that capital. You're putting the dollars in in, in premium. Now it's growing with dividends and interest. And what's happening is that those that growth inside the policy is called tax deferred. That's the formal definition, the formal title, the tax treatment of that growth. Now you can think, well, it's tax deferred growth. When do I pay the tax? Because defer means to postpone, which means, well, at some point I pay tax on this growth of dividends and interest inside the policy. But if you use it properly, which is what Bruce was just saying, in most cases, if it's used properly, or I should say that differently, if it's used properly, you do not pay tax on the cash value. Here's how. If you use a policy loan, which means I am requesting a loan to get the life insurance company's money. So I'm not taking out my money out of the policy. I'm using my cash value as collateral. I'm requesting a loan from the life insurance company. They are providing their capital to me. Meanwhile, my capital, my cash value is continuing to grow with dividends and interest. Because I've used a policy loan, I am not paying tax on that portion of capital that I'm borrowing. So the loan is not taxed. I pay back the policy loan and I'm not paying tax on the money that I'm paying the policy loan back with. 
And then what's happening is as I get to the end of the policy, the death benefit then pays out to my heirs income tax-free, meaning that they get a a check for $100,000 that's not going to add to their taxable income and make them pay tax in that year. You're able to experience your growth and use the growth of your cash value in a completely tax-free way. It's just not called tax-free because there are some situations where you would have to pay tax. And that is, Bruce, as you were saying, if you surrender the policy and there's growth beyond your paid-in capital or your cost basis beyond what you've paid in, you're going to pay tax on that portion of growth. If you do a withdrawal, that is a very hard word and I cannot say it, withdrawal. (laughs) If I'm doing that and I'm taking all of the cash value and I'm taking out more than I've paid in, I will pay tax on the portion that is above my cost basis, above what I've paid in. So that's in a case where I'm taking my cash value out of the policy to use it while I'm living. So- yeah, and actually, uh, you can look this up. But it's, it's And once again, this isn't a loophole. <clears throat> I hate that word. This is actually in the tax code, 7702 of the tax code. You can look at it at irs.gov. It's not magic. <laughs> it's actually put, remember, tax codes are incentives by Congress to get people to do things that the way they want them to be done. Absolutely. The incentive here is they're trying to incent people to actually get life insurance. Why? Because if people get life insurance and they die prematurely, then state, local, and federal government do not have to spend money to take care of them. So, absolutely. Which state, local, and federal government actually means other people who are taxpayers, if we really parse things out. So, this was an incentive that Congress put in the tax code because people all the time, that's another thing people ask me all the time in meetings. Why is it tax-free? And I said, well, because Congress wants it to be tax-free because they do this to incent people to actually get life insurance. Okay. Which is so crazy to think about. So if you just follow the path of what is not taxable, it will tell you what the government wants, which is so crazy because they're not just going to come out and say, we have a campaign in the government to uh, make everyone buy life insurance. That would be maybe a little more helpful if they were just really direct about it, right? <laughs> yeah, I always, I always say it's funny that you know they they make you buy homeowners insurance because you have a you have a a lien on your home. They make you buy car insurance because especially if you have a lien on the car, <clears throat> but they don't make you buy life insurance. And the lien is actually what you owe your family. <laughs> I mean, it's kind yes. of crazy. You know something else? Oh, go ahead, Bruce. No, I I was just saying that, um, and that lien that you own your family is a lot more than what home your home value is, and and what your car value is. Yeah, and and what you're saying is, if you die prematurely, all the income that you're not going to make from that year going forward, and what it could have grown to had you invested it wisely, that's all wealth that's lost from your family if you're no longer living. So. Life insurance, that's what you're talking about. The lien that is take taking your that your family is going to be responsible for is a, a giant amount of capital. And the and the last thing, if if a if a person wants to delve into this even greater, we did do an episode on um on the uh benefits of this rather than a Roth IRA. Let me see if I can and grab the link and I'll pop that in the call chat. It, we call it the rich, rich man's Roth. And if you and for you successful people out there. You may already know that above a a certain number, and I'd like to quote it, but I know it changes every year. It's, it's about 
5,000, I think, this year. Uh, you cannot do a Roth IRA. Now, you can do it in your 401k, but not outside it. And even if you could do it outside it, you'd be limited to $6,000 unless you were over to age 50. Well, you're only limited by how much life insurance you could get from insurance companies with this. So it grows tax free, just like a Roth. I'm sorry, grows tax deferred. You can access it tax free. The same thing a Roth IRA grows tax deferred. And if you do it correctly, you can access it tax free. I think we've done this in a previous episode as well, but I just want to comment briefly on the idea of having tax free growth or the ability to access and use tax free growth. If you think about what a life insurance policy is growing at, and we always say, don't compare this to investments. You really want to think about this as a place to store cash. This is a savings tank, a savings compartment of your life, a a tool to do savings. But if we look at the long-term growth over multiple years, and it changes based on what the bond rate is and interest rates and what the dividend rate ends up being over the long-term inside your policy, but we see between three and 5% historical growth on a long-term basis. If you're looking about 30 years plus in a policy, what that means is if you look at the ending cash value amount and you consider all of the premium that has been paid in, it would have required that growth rate in order to reach that cash value amount. So I hope you're following my words and not hearing that there is that rate of return inside of a policy. I'm backing out the calculation to arrive at what would be a a rate of return. What's very interesting though, is that would be considered a net rate of return. That is already considering there are no taxes that must be now paid out of that rate of return because it's not a taxable investment. It's not a taxable growth rate on this policy. You're also not also you're not also having to say, here's the rate of return, but after you get that rate of return, now you take out fees. There's nothing else to be taken out. It's already considered and factored in taxes and fees. And so that would be more so the equivalent, depending on your tax bracket, of needing to achieve something more in the ballpark of four to six or four to eight percent growth rate taxable in order to compare to what that tax-free or tax advantage, we'll say tax advantage to be technically accurate growth rate that you're getting inside of a life insurance policy. Bruce, is there anything else you want to say or clarify on the tax portion? I think that's something that we probably do need to talk about more commonly. No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, you know, uh, disclosure wise, you need to actually have somebody look at this for you. Yes. Um, there are a lot of advantages. Um, I'll just close today because I know we're kind of we're kind of slipping off the the slope of is infinite banking, you know, right for you or when to start infinite banking. But Nelson Nash actually did this at one of the think tanks one year where he was getting his dividend checks uh, when he was slowing down and he stopped working as an insurance producer and he was just he was just going around um, espousing the the benefits of infinite banking. And so he started in, you know, in his 70s, started getting dividend checks. And then when it got to the cost basis, he got a letter from the insurance company and said, the next one we send you will actually be taxable. And he goes, I can still remember him doing it. He goes, oh no, it will not. Because I want you now to change it from the dividends to a loan against the cash value. 
And so then they did it. Now, the final thing on that is if you can't wrap your head around that, just think about it. If you if you get a home equity line of, ca- of credit or a cash out refinance of your home, you don't have to pay taxes on that. It's the same thing. It's a loan. Uber wealthy people do this all the time. They borrow against their future estate. So it's not, it, once again, it's not magic. It's not a, a loophole in the laws. It is a legitimate strategy that you can talk about out in the open and nobody has to worry about it. You know, there's several other things that we could cover. I know uh, we want to come to a close quickly here. So I want to just recap briefly the mindset that you need to be able to say, yes, I'm going to move from the sidelines to stepping in and beginning a first infinite banking policy. Really, the mindset that you need is not one of fear, but one of abundance, not thinking I'm afraid of the outcome, the consequences. I'm not sure if I'm making a good decision. That is operating in scarcity. And ultimately what you need is to be thinking and operating in a position of abundance. And I don't just mean having a lot of money. I think sometimes maybe that can be lost in translation a little bit. Abundance thinking is thinking of the world as an infinitely amazing place that has infinite possibility. And if we really want to break it down all the way to what money truly is, It shows you that money is the result of you exchanging value with another human being, which means you have infinite ability to increase the value you provide to others. So you have infinite earning potential. Don't think of, well, here's the X number of dollars I make today in my business or in my workplace. You could feasibly 10X that income by having a different idea or connecting with a mentor, or finding a coach, or scaling and leveraging what you're currently doing, and thinking totally different. So what we want to do is think expansively and be in a position of recognizing that the universe is a good place, it is for you, and everything that you need is coming to you. So really, that is a position of abundance thinking. You're also wanting to be in a position of commitment and making long-term decisions. And when I say long-term decision, don't think of that as a long-term handcuffs or a long-term ball and chain. Instead, you're thinking expansively about generational wealth and you have the ability today to begin making decisions that will truly not only benefit in your thinking, but will benefit financially generations to come past you. And how profound and powerful is that? We often are just thinking, what's the next best thing for me to do today or next month or next year or for the next five or 10 or 20 years in my own life. But you truly have the opportunity to start something by your thinking different and making different choices that will then propel wealth and and compound it and deposit more wealth in future generations. And that's something that can start a cycle of additional expansive growth. So thinking long-term is really necessary. I will comment just for a minute, who's not ready for infinite banking? If you're still saying, I'm not sure, I don't know if it's a good idea, I still am really wrestling through all these questions about liquidity, about my options if something goes wrong, what if I don't have income next year? Or you're in a position of saying, uh, I have not had good money habits. I don't have a habit of savings. I don't have a track record of savings. Infinite banking is not right for you. 
it is not the one solution for every person. It really is only a, it's like a, I don't know if this is the best way to say it, but it just came to me. It's like a graduate degree for somebody who's completed undergrad. It's not for somebody to jump from kindergarten to a graduate degree. If you are in the kindergarten level, and I don't mean that in any disrespectful way, but if you are learning good money habits right now and you're saying, well, I have never saved consistently in my whole life and I don't have any savings right now and I'm learning how to save, you still need to go through the steps and build up a consistent savings habit so that you are developing that true foundation of building any wealth, that habit of spending less than you earn. So I think that would be the number one thing to know if you're not ready. Um, one last thing I do want to say here is there could be someone listening right now who's saying, look, I have good savings habits, but everything I'm working with is small. My income is small, but I'm really disciplined with my income. My savings are very consistent, but they're small. How do I know if I have enough money per month or enough total capital to consider infinite banking or if I should just stay inside of a bank account? And Bruce, you can add on to this as much as you want, but I would encourage you to start soon and start small rather than waiting. If you do have the good discipline and you have the savings habits, that I would encourage you to start as soon as possible with some kind of a strategy. That may be term life insurance if you're not ready financially for whole life insurance, or it might be a small whole life policy before you're ready for another second or a larger whole life policy you're going to definitely look back and say, I'm very glad I started sooner rather than later. Bruce, is there anything you would add to that idea? No, if, if this person, and we, we can see this, I've, like I said, I've done this 5,000 plus times. I can, I can feel the positive or negative energy with a person in a meeting. So even if uh, you do not have a lot of assets or income right now, but you'd have, you do have good habits we're welcome. You're more than welcome to um, set a time for our team to to talk to you. And I'm sure we can help you in some way. Yes. Um, so we're, we would love to have a conversation with you if you are ready to cross that bridge, or even if you're, you're considering saying, I think I am ready, but I'm not quite sure we can talk you through that and help you decide really where you stand on that bridge and figuring out what the right next step is for you. So you can go straight over to themoneyadvantage.com. We have resources available for you right there on the homepage. We also have a button you can click to go straight to our advisor calendar, and that will book you a 30-minute free conversation to really be able to explore this idea of saying, what is right for me in the world of financial you know, in all of my financial life, but specifically as it applies to this conversation in the, in the world of infinite banking, what's right for me? What is the right next step considering my financial picture and everything that I have right now in my unique specific circumstance? So we invite you to come over to themoneyadvantage.com. You can book a call right there on our homepage. And if you're saying, I'm still in that learning process, that's perfectly okay as well. We should have done this earlier in the show. Now we're about to wrap. So I don't have a lot more room for live questions. But go ahead and wherever you're watching this, whenever you're watching, go ahead and drop a comment in the feed below. You can ask a question about life insurance. You can ask a question about your your situation. If it's too personal, we're going to not answer on a public platform. So you can direct those over to hello at themoneyadvantage.com if you have questions that are very personal in nature. But I would love to be able to give you the clarity 
that you need. That's what our show is dedicated to, providing the education and logical, rational thought process to be able to think through what you need for infinite banking. So all of those resources are available there. Thank you for being part of this conversation today, and we wish you the best. Now, in closing, please remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.